When I was a kid, there was a public service ad that played on the TV all the time. It really kind of became part of pop culture for my generation. It featured a catchy little song that started, Buckle up for safety, buckle up, buckle up for safety, everybody buckle up. Okay, I'll stop singing. (laughs) That was an adaptation of the song Buckle Down Win Saki from a 1940 Broadway musical, Best Foot Forward. But back in 1964, there really was a need to educate the public about this new idea of seatbelts. I remember when belts were first installed in my parents' 1963 Chevy Bel Air station wagon. I was eight. Before that, we kids just slipped around on the plastic-covered seats. Fortunately, automobile safety has come a long way since the 60s. But what few people know is that pesticide safety has come a long way, too. And that's what I want to talk about today. This is Pop Agriculture, the podcast that blends pop culture with agriculture to tell the stories of the plants, processes, and people who have shaped modern crop production. A true farm-to-table connection that puts food into perspective with your passionate plant scientist host, Steve Savage. It's been 55 years since the publication of Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, and 47 years since the first Earth Day, and 47 years since the establishment of the EPA. The environmental movement and a whole new scientific disciplines have arisen since that time. These have all been important factors in the evolution of pesticides and the evolution of their regulation. As Washington State University professor Alan Felsot says, These are not your father's pesticides. For many people, it's difficult to imagine how a pesticide could ever be considered safe. To understand how this is possible, it's helpful to make the comparison with something a bit more familiar, electricity. We all recognize the benefits of electricity. It's it's hard to imagine our lives without it. But as much as we enjoy and need this modern luxury, it comes with potential hazards. Electricity can, and sometimes does, cause injury or death. But overall, we think of electricity as a reasonably safe aspect of our lives. Now, safety isn't really something that can be precisely defined. What it really means in this case is that the risks of using electricity are low, and more than offset by its benefits. That's kind of what we mean by safety. There are two reasons the risk is low with the electricity in our lives. First, we developed ways to reduce risk by preventing ourselves from getting exposed to the really hazardous forms of electricity. And secondly, we have found nearly risk-free ways to do many things with electricity using very low hazard forms. With pesticides, we employ those same two approaches to reduce risk, preventing exposure to hazardous pesticides and using more and more low hazard pesticides. Let's take a closer look at the low-hazard approach. Increasingly, we power the devices central to our lives with forms of electricity that are virtually non-hazardous. The prime examples would be our cell phones, Bluetooth devices, portable music players. These things run on low-voltage direct current electricity, a form that's nearly incapable of causing us harm. That same low-hazard approach plays an important role in pesticide safety. In the middle of the last century, a lot of the early pesticide contained chemicals that were also fairly toxic to mammals and thus to humans. 
There were other pesticides like DDT that weren't toxic in the short term, but were found to persist in the environment and they had long-term effects. These were some of the reasons for the establishment of the Environmental Protection Agency in 1970. Once these hazards were recognized and there was a sound regulatory system, the truly dangerous pesticides were removed from the market or greatly restricted. Over the intervening decades, billions of dollars have been spent on the discovery, testing, and regulatory review of new, far less hazardous pesticide options. There are some good data available that can be used to track which pesticides have been used over time and how that changed. I've spent some time reviewing this in detail for the Washington apple crop and for California wine grapes, because these are major crops in need of protection from pests, and they're good examples of trends over the years. Once I'd collected a list of products, there are documents online called safety data sheets that provide the toxicity data about each pesticide. There are lots of different kinds of toxicity that the EPA looks at, but the kind most people can relate to is what's called oral toxicity, or what would happen if you ate some of the chemical. It's a measure that we would normally think of as how poisonous something is. Well, so the EPA categorizes pesticides in terms of their toxicity, ranging from a Category 1, which is called highly toxic, to a Category 4, which is called essentially non-toxic. And the difference, the numeric difference between a 1 and a 4 is, is a factor of a 1,000. In between, there's a Category 2 called moderately toxic and a Category 3, which is called slightly toxic. For both apples and grapes, the trends are similar. Even by the early 1990s, there weren't many pesticides that fell into the highly toxic Category 1, and the use of those declined even further so that in recent years, they're essentially gone. The moderately toxic Category 2 products were already a minor component in the 90s, and they've declined since then by about half of what they started. Just to put those into perspective, those moderately toxic things, they're kind of in the same range as the capsaicin that makes hot sauce hot or the caffeine that makes coffee useful for waking up in the morning. These are things that are toxic, but clearly there's a substantial dose range that, that isn't a problem. The majority of pesticides used today, though, fall either into the Category 3 slightly toxic or the Category 4 practically non-toxic, and the growth of these categories has been the major trend overall. So back to the electricity analogy, lots of pesticides that are being used in agriculture today are low hazard options. And so the risk is low for the same basic reason it's low for the electricity powering a cell phone. The reason for development of safer pesticides over the years is that we found much more specific pesticides, things that are toxic to the pest, but not to mammals. So how does that work? Well, think about chocolate. It's something humans love, but it's not at all safe for dogs. The toxicity there is specific. With pesticides, what we have found usually are chemicals that inhibit a certain enzyme in the pest, something that it needs to work. With pesticides, what we have found are chemicals that maybe inhibit a certain enzyme in the pest, something that the pest needs. And we can find those sorts of target enzymes that animals don't even have. And that's why the hazard is so low for us. Now. With any kind of hazard, large or small, electricity or pesticide, one way to reduce risk is to not be exposed to the hazard. That's why we make the cords for our 120-volt AC appliances well-insulated, and we make outlets child-proof. 
That's why the high-voltage transmission lines are up on tall towers and there are big fences around transformers. Similarly, for the pesticides and other crop protection agents that are used in agriculture, there are ways that risk is greatly reduced by preventing exposure. The rules for exposure risk reductions are spelled out in detail in EPA-approved use labels. The person with the most potential for exposure is the one that mixes and loads what's going to be sprayed and maybe drives the sprayer through the field. The EPA label specifies what sort of personal protective equipment this person must have. If the products being applied are low hazard, the label might only require gloves, shoes, and a dust mask. If it's hazardous, the applicator may be required to wear a respirator, a whole body Tyvek suit, or maybe even spray from within a closed tractor cab with a filtered air supply. After crop protection materials have been applied, the EPA label specifies what's called a minimum reentry interval before any farm workers or anyone else can enter the spray field. There may be personal protective equipment requirements for doing so as well. For pesticides that are hazardous to fish or other aquatic organisms, there are restrictions about how close it can be applied to any body of water. Similarly, for pesticides that are hazardous to bees or other pollinators, there are restrictions on when they can be applied relative to bloom time and or on times of day when the pollinators are working. For all pesticides, the EPA conducts an extensive risk assessment and uses that to inform and set up a detailed set of restrictions designed to make sure that by the time the crop is harvested, there are no residues of concern for consumers. I'll talk more about that on another podcast titled do I need to be concerned about pesticide residues on my food? So as with automobile safety, there's been a lot of positive change with pesticides. As with electricity, pesticides can be used in a way that meets our need for clean, productive farming and which gives us comfortable and functional level of safety. Thanks for listening to another installment of Pop Agriculture. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com. <laughs>